There has to be equal access to quality health care. There has to be equal access to places in low-income neighborhoods, just as much in wealthy neighborhoods, places that are considered well. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with me, Jen Hatmaker. Today, we'll talk about gaps in healthcare and wellness for Black women and men with wellness expert and entrepreneur, Christina Rice. Hey, everybody, Jen Hatmaker here. Welcome to the For the Love podcast. I am super happy you're here today because we have an episode for you that's absolute fire. But before we get started, I wanted to take a second to talk to all the listeners out there who have a story burning inside of them. I know what it's like to have words just bubbling up inside of you, but you're not exactly sure how to get them published. So if you are ready to take the next step to tell your story, I have an amazing person I want you to meet. Rochelle Gardner is a literary agent who has spent close to 30 years helping authors get published. And she reps, frankly, some of the best writers in the industry, including my brilliant friends, Sarah Bessie and Jamie Wright, fan favorites and mine. Guys, Rochelle offered me, this is no joke, my very first book contract in 2004. Like we go back. Rochelle is leading an online course called Author School and it has one goal for you, getting from pen to published. Author School is an eight-week course that covers literally everything you need to know about publishing, getting an agent, writing book proposals, editing, building author platforms, so much more. It's just chock full of information that you need to know so that you can make your publishing dreams a reality. So just for you, the listeners of the For the Love podcast, there is prioritized, reserved space for this course. So go to authorschool.com slash Jen Hatmaker and sign up. Registration closes September 29th. So don't miss it. Okay. Use this authorschool.com slash Jen Hatmaker. Okay. Now for today's show. Right now we are in a series called For the Love of Black Lives, which feels urgent and acute and important. And I thank you for your incredibly high engagement around this series as we listen and learn to some of the absolute best leaders and thinkers of color out there. So today we're going to tackle a part of Black American life that absolutely deserves not just our attention, but reform. Because the well-being, the care, the beauty of black bodies has largely been disregarded in this country. Black bodies have not been given the same care and treatment as white bodies, which is not just shameful, it is harmful. And so today we are going to examine the disparities and gaps in health and wellness that the black community has experienced every single day. Then we're going to take a look at how we can mobilize as allies to help reshape policies and systems to better and equally serve our Black family, friends, and neighbors. Right now, anybody with privilege, anybody who is centered, needs to listen to voices of authority here, to the Black women and men who have lived these gaps and can help us see them and understand them so that together we can build a bridge to wholeness and healing for everybody. And so lucky us, today we get to talk to a force for Black wellness. Her name is Christina Rice. She is the founder and chief experience officer of Om Noir. Om Noir is a social wellness community for Black women and women of color who are dedicated to living well. I loved this conversation. Christina, first of all, is an absolute boss. She is a serial entrepreneur, a certified yoga instructor. She launched her very own business in Nashville when she was 21. After that, Christina worked in marketing and PR for 15 years before launching Om Noir just a few years ago. And let me tell you a little bit about Om Noir. It's an incredible organization. Om Noir has blossomed at this point into an online community of more than 40,000 women. It has hosted summits and master classes with some of the most sought after leaders. Just a beautiful place for women to connect with themselves and each other. Om Noir has led retreats in places like Granada 
and Bali and Barbados and Ghana. Like, okay. As well as providing immersive experiences that are steeped in well-being activities, some that are just virtual. There's an access point all along the spectrum here where attendees can find a deeper connection to themselves and the richness of their communities. It's really amazing. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Christina is an absolute self-starter, a woman lighting up the world with her fire. So it's absolutely fitting that Inc. Magazine voted Christina as one of the 100 women building America's most ambitious and innovative companies in 2019. Wow. Deserved. You'll, you'll see. Deserved. There's so much to learn by watching the way Christina leads, listening to her specific body of expertise, and watching the way she lifts up the women around her, creating these beautiful places for women for rest and healing and wholeness and wellness. I was so inspired by this conversation today, and I think you will be too. So welcome with me, the absolutely brilliant and talented Christina Rice. Christina, welcome. Welcome, welcome to the For the Love podcast. I'm really so happy to meet you today. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. I am so excited about our conversation. And I met you virtually during the Share the Mic Now campaign. So I'm happy to reconnect. I know. My team and I, of course, that's where we were exposed to your work initially. And we really, really wanted you on the podcast. And so, and like, send out an invitation immediately. Let's see if we can get her. She's so busy. We're like honored that you said yes, and that you're here. I've told my listeners a little bit about who you are. But I'm really interested to hear from you about the beautiful work you're doing at Om Noir. Let's, if you don't mind, take it back to the beginning and just who you are. I'm interested to hear about your own wellness journey. What has that looked like for you, Christina? Like, what's been your experience as a Black woman growing up in America, trying to find healthy practices for self-care or places for you to live and thrive in community or that celebrate your beauty? How did this start for you? And what, what was your original experience? Well, growing up, you know, and I think this is the plight of many Black Americans is that we were not really exposed to a lot of healthy practices. I mean, a lot of us, we have have families, parents that are from the South. And so, you know, they were also raised on certain types of foods and obviously very heavy foods, very Southern foods. And so it wasn't until later on in my adult life that I actually was exposed through my own practices to a healthier lifestyle. Of course, that doesn't take away from our parents and how they raised us, but this is also uh, what we call generational. You know, they only teach what they know, right? And so, you know, the plight of many Black Americans is that we are raised on unhealthy foods and things like you know, yoga and meditation and exercises and, you know, just various forms of physical activity, we're just not really exposed to that. For the most part, it's probably not in our neighborhoods, you know, like yoga studios and spin studios and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I was raised in Akron, Ohio. I went to college at TSU in Nashville. And right after college, I decided to open up a clothing store at 21. So Mm. I've been an entrepreneur my entire life. Uh, entire adult life for the past 20 years. And after I closed my store, I moved to New York. Uh, I, you know, kind of fell into the PR industry. I launched my agency. And it was around 2015. I was going through a very difficult time in my life. I was, you know, really bad breakup, toxic relationship. Mm. My business was suffering. My friendships, my mental health, everything was suffering. And, you know, over the years, like I've tried different types of physical activity. I mean, I've even ran a half marathon, kickboxing, spinning. And it wasn't until I walked into this $5 yoga studio, (laughs) two blocks from my office in Manhattan, that I really discovered my true love of this Mm. product. And even, you know, I say this a lot, it really saved my life because had I not been really intentional about focusing on my spirituality Mm. and my emotional mental health, I don't know where I would be today. One of the things I, I want to point out, and the reason why I said five dollar yoga studio is because for the most part, most studios are 
typically priced a lot higher, right? That's so right. something that you really enjoy to do and you would go every day or every other day if you could, after a while that $25 and that $30 starts to add up, right? Yeah, but, it sure does. Yeah. So that also eliminates a certain economic group, of course, where in neighborhoods they're located. And so thankfully I found this studio, it's actually donation-based. When I say $5, because I always used to get $5 through that process. So this was spring 2015. I started going every day because, you know, in that time I was just searching for something to get me out of this dark place that I was in. And so I found it. Sometime around the summer of 2015, they announced they were doing a yoga teacher training. And I didn't know if I really wanted to teach, but I knew I wanted to get deeper in my practice. Mm-hmm. I signed up. We started fall 2015. And the one thing that I noticed out of 54 students, I was the only black woman. Yeah. And even though it, through a 10-week process, very intensive training, and I did get close to many of them, I still didn't feel yeah. like a safe space, right? Yeah. I didn't have anyone that looked like me, that understood even just my own insecurities from body, right? From my, mm. from my shape, you know, you go into a yoga studio, mm. you see size two white women, right? Right. Exactly. People busy and they practice yoga probably all day, every day. So you mm. come in, you know, yeah. and not as flexible and you're trying to, you know, learn this practice, but it doesn't feel as welcoming and as inclusive. And so um, through my training, you know, as a student, as a teacher, I noticed that Black women would navigate to my classes. And a lot of times after the class, they would say, you know, thank you for seeing me. Thank you for Mm. that really made it feel welcoming for me. Mm. And that's where the idea of Om Noir came from, for us to create that space Mm. for Black women and women of color. I want to go back through several things you said and kind of parse it out because you just dropped so much right there in that answer. One thing that you have said before, you said, I felt there weren't any platforms that were really addressing how we can be more proactive with our health and spaces Mm -hmm. where we could just breathe and look around and see the woman next to us who understands our challenges as Black women, which is kind of what you just Mm -hmm. described, which when I read that sentence, it feels so acute, it feels so necessary. And to your exact point, white women in dominant culture just don't understand this. That just everywhere we look, everyone looks like us. And Mm -hmm. so can you talk about why it's so important to have places, especially inside wellness work, where everyone can rest and feel at home and feel seen and feel known and maybe even how tiring and how exhausting and even just demoralizing code switching is all the time and why that sort of work moved you into Om Noir. You know this, and we've talked about this, you know, as Black women a lot, that we are kind of raised to be super women, right? You constantly have on that cape. And so we push ourselves and push ourselves. And in every room that we're in, we're fighting to be seen, to be heard, to be acknowledged, to be respected. And so Om Noir, for me, it, it was really my safe space. And so I wanted to create a space that felt welcoming and inclusive for Black women and women of color, that we can let our hair down, that we can talk to each other in a way that we understand, listen, from systemic racism, from generational trauma, from all of these things that we've had to fight through in this day and age, where that happy and safe and peaceful space where we can, one, be together (laughs) in a room that, like like I said, feels welcoming and safe, but yeah. often we can learn from each other because we speak the same language. Yeah. And one of the things that, you know, when, you know, at all my retreats and, and spaces that, you know, we curate for our community, you know, I say every woman in this room has gone through a struggle or right. going through a struggle. And that's how you identify with the woman in the room that looks like you. And so, and you can have those really open and vulnerable conversations. Mm-hmm. And when we're in rooms that we are the minority, which most of right. we are, those conversations aren't crafted for us. That's right. And talking about the disparities in healthcare and wellness mm-hmm. and education, 
everything that is, is really built against us and against our survival in this world. So when we yeah. get into space, we can talk about that. And how do we change it within our community first? Mm. Oh, that's so good. One of the best things I've ever done for myself is going to therapy. I'm in it now. It has revolutionized the way I think about myself, my place in the world, and my relationships. And listen, you can learn about yourself and transform your life with BetterHelp Counseling. So with BetterHelp, you can connect with a licensed professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can start communicating with your counselor within 24 hours uh, via text or chat or phone or video. And if it's not a great fit, you can change counselors at no additional cost. And listen, you aren't alone here. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier, more whole life today. As one of my listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash for the love. Join over a million people taking charge of their mental health. So one more time, that's betterhelp.com slash for the love. Okay, back to our show. You mentioned systemic, the systemic nature of this. I'd like to talk about that. The term wellness, it's kind of new in the zeitgeist and it covers a lot that encompasses exercise and food and relationships and mental and emotional and physical health to just to name a few. And so I wonder when I think about these things under the umbrella of wellness, can you talk about what kinds of obstacles Black Americans face as they pursue health in these areas that their white counterparts might not necessarily face at all? I mean, we can run down statistics all yeah. day long. And when you said, you know, wellness encompasses so much, I do believe, and this is what I teach, that wellness is a 360-degree journey. Yeah, One doesn't work without the other. So when we talk about disparities in healthcare, we have to talk about economic disparities. Yes. And the disparities in just wealth. I mean, you know, white families hold 90% of the wealth in this country. Yeah. Yeah. Black families hold 2.6% of that. Mm. You know, I just read a recent report that even black families that attain middle class status, their children are likely not to stay in middle class. They either stay the same or they do worse, right? Mm, wow. So, not even set up to build generational wealth. And then it's interesting because we have a virtual retreat this weekend to address that and why we are not, why we don't have access to certain educational resources and finance, like how to build generational wealth. We're not yes. taught stocks, you know, we're not taught about real estate and things like that, but white families, they teach it within their own community. And we haven't gotten to that place yet to have mm-hmm. those where we're passing the knowledge yeah. in community and family and, and family to family. So when we talk about disparities, like I said, in, in wellness and healthcare, we have to talk about economic. We have to talk about education. We have to talk about like Black Americans are far more likely to not have access to emergency medical care. And then we get into the pregnancy mortality rate for Black women. You've seen this story. Even even wealthy Black Americans like Serena Williams and Beyonce, he talked about being in a hospital and doctors not listening to them. Because again, like I said, it's like a, it's just a domino effect. When we start, when we are born in families that are already coming from a deficit economically, that translates to everything else. That's from food desert. We can even go into that. Yeah. No, I'd like to hear you talk about that. Low-income neighborhoods are really considered a food desert that do not have access to healthy foods and nutritionist foods, nutritional foods. $50 of frozen and boxed foods, right, will last a family, a low-income family, longer than $50 of healthy and fresh foods, right? So then, of course, they have limited choices. In low-income neighborhoods, you have more convenience stores that have limited shelf space. So it's a bunch of canned food and frozen food and boxed food, obviously more gas stations, more this. So again, it becomes this domino effect. 
Then we go into obesity and heart disease. And those, you know, those numbers are disproportionately affect Black Americans. You've shared this stat before that according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office of Minority Health, that Black women have the highest rate of obesity compared to any other group in the country. It's just such a sobering thing to hear because there's so much systemic injustice wrapped around that outcome, which to me, of course, reeks of privilege because it's everything you just mentioned. It's cost to time to access. And so I think the white person's lazy way out, which keeps virtue, their virtue intact, is to just say, well, these are just bad choices, right? Like, you're just not making good choices. But what you are describing, these are the facts. The Mm -hmm. facts are that systemically the black community is set up for failure in the in terms of health it's just real how do you suggest i mean this is a big elephant that you have to eat one bite at a time but what are some of the the low-hanging fruit options and reforms that you suggest we begin making to reverse this essentially injustice inside health and wellness for for black communities Ooh, I mean, it's going to take years. It may take generations for yeah. major, major, major change because we have to dig through 400 years of this, right? That's right. So too, I mean, 2020 has really shown the ugly underbelly of mm-hmm. America. So we're going through it at the same time. Civil rights, women's yeah. rights, a pandemic, yeah, gosh. a lack of true leadership. That's and right. Like this is our reckoning right now. And then on top of that, one thing that, and I was thinking about this early, the pandemic has really shown behavioral patterns of Americans and what that means in their mindset too. Because if you care for your neighbor and you look out for your neighbor and not just yourself, this pandemic would not have been as massive because we see so many people that are so reckless now, right? That's right. But they haven't been affected, so they don't think about it. And so imagine, like you said, right, America has not really been conscious and intentional about Black life because it has nothing to do with them. That's right. Now, it took the death of George Floyd and the horrific nature of his death for people to wake up and understand the need for police reform and just so many other things. Listen, I don't went in on a whole other tangent. (laughs) Listen, but it all goes together. These are systems that are intertwined and one injustice feeds the next. And so once you start pulling the thread, the whole damn thing unravels. It's all connected. And so what you're saying is very relevant when you look at behavior patterns that the pandemic is exposing and this real sense of partisanship around just the most basic safety practices that are working in every other country. And you you kind of see that it's this privileged response to keeping your neighbor safe from the largely the white community. And this matters. This matters to a lot of the things that you and I are talking about. That sort of position is also at the root of uh, the healthcare disparities. I mean, it, it's just one big monster. It's a huge monster. I want people to understand, especially right America, systemic racism is costly. Yeah, it is. It affects everyone. The economic costs of even with with the pandemic and Black Americans being adversely affected over white Americans, that is straining our healthcare system. That's right. So that affects everyone. And if you think about you know, from, and I'm sure we'll get into just white allyship, is that if you do your part as a white ally, you start to, like you said, unravel all of this thread of economic disparities, healthcare and wellness and everything like that to make a better, more, more cohesive America That's that right. affects everyone positively. That's and right. That's what's happening, everyone is negatively affected. We're every single American, even across the world, we are affected by a pandemic in one way or the other. And But it's really, like I said, it's showing the ugly underbelly of American life. 
And we have our blinders on with things that do not affect us. But again, of course, this this is our reckoning and this is our time to have these conversations. And you did say something about solutions. There's going to have to be massive unraveling of a lot of things. But That's I right. think for the most part, if we really want to, I mean, we really have to unravel our healthcare system. Yeah. And this has been a fight for years that there has to be equal access to quality health care. There has to be equal access to places in low income neighborhoods, just as much in wealthy neighborhoods, places that are considered well, whether mm-hmm. it's gyms that are more cost effective or donation based. Like, I mean, there's okay. that needs to be inputted here for us to start to flatten this curve. Mm-hmm. Here's the rock and hard place with even gentrification. And when I think about low-income neighborhoods, if they're able to bring in healthier grocery stores, better quality gyms, all of that stuff, what it does is it drives up the cost of living. Families are again pushed yeah. up and then are pushed into smaller spaces. That's right. Such a conundrum. This is a requirement. This mm-hmm. is a required focus right now. Our healthcare system is so inequitable. The gaps are humongous. And obviously, I think you mentioned this, the mortality rates for Black mothers and babies are so much higher than for mm-hmm. white mothers and babies in America. And Black patients don't receive the same regard from the administration of pain medication. I, I mean, it's just been, it's bonkers. It's like when you read it on its face, it's so absurd. Mm-hmm. It's so unjust that it almost, I think that's why we see so often the white response is just fragile. It's so yeah. fragile to say, no, that can't be true. Surely medical care is not systemically biased. Surely that's just a basic right that we have set up. And systems are so hard to confront and admit. It's so much easier to just come down to these individual spots. But when we look at these sweeping systems and the data doesn't lie, it's just those are just facts. That is not a biased opinion. It's just facts that when we look at our healthcare system, it is undeniably biased toward white Americans and against black Americans. And so you said this a second ago, and it's just so, it's so big. (laughs) It's so big. And you may be right that we're looking at generations of intentional work, but these are the truths. These are the, this is the lived experience of so many black Americans inside our healthcare system. And so in addition to creating I like how you said that. How did you say places that are well? I've never heard anybody say it in that way. I really like that. Just places that are well inside every community all along the economic spectrum. How do we begin to address these systemic inequalities inside the healthcare system at large? I think we have to dial it back even a little bit further and address it in grade school. We're not typically, I'm not sure from your experience, but I don't even remember being taught nutrition in school, right? So many, many, many health issues come from unhealthy eating, right? Mm -hmm. And it starts, of course, when we're younger. So we maintain those same habits throughout our childhood, throughout our adulthood. And then, of course, that's where heart disease and obesity and diabetes and those things because from a young age, we are eating, uh, you know, candy, tons of sugar, mm. processed foods, all of that stuff. Because if we can address it in grade school, then the disparities in the healthcare system from just the, the way that Black people are disproportionately affected will start to lower. You know, even now, and I'm so grateful for that the wellness conversation is so big now. Yeah the Black community. And I'm grateful that even in our community, we've done our part to Mm. address that, right? And how we can start to reverse some of our behavioral patterns, just our physical health issues. Last year, you know, even as an entrepreneur, I'm sure you you understand that many times our well-being becomes the last thing that we think about. Totally. Right. And so last year, you know, I went to the doctor. Here I am. I'm running a wellness company. I go to the doctor. I'm so intent on my business that I haven't even been paying attention that I've started to gain weight. And I get a physical and the doctor is like, your blood pressure is way up. 
you're going to have to reverse it because I don't put you on medication. And blood pressure medication has tons of adverse effects from thinning hair and just all that stuff. So I got really, really, really focused on my health. But I realized that this had to, you know, this was old behavior starting to resurface. And if I'm not really intentional and really focused on a daily basis on my health, then I'm going to fall back into old patterns myself. So imagine the struggle from the Black American experience, even as entrepreneurs, as employees, how we are so focused on being the best because we have to be and overprove yes. that we are educated and we can run businesses and we can help companies grow. That, of course, because of that, our wellness and our well-being is the last thing to think yeah. about because we can't think about anything else. <sighs> I appreciate you saying that because if you, an absolute wellness expert, can also put your own wellness last place, I appreciate the honesty in that. That that is how hard it can be. That is the uphill climb, even when that's your supreme focus. I'd like to talk about you a little bit more because I think that your path is so interesting and what you discovered is really fascinating to me. As you mentioned, you obviously found your niche in yoga. You said this earlier. I hope my listeners picked it up because you said when you went to, you know, training out of 54 people, you were the only black woman in the room. And that is just, that's a remarkable thing to say. The only one out of 54. And so can you talk a little bit about specifically what yoga has meant to you and why Mm. it is that that practice has served you so well and how it is now that you, you use yoga as an instructor, as a master to serve your community? You know, and I also, I want to go back to the one in 54 really quick. Mm. I'm not surprised by it for two reasons. One, because for so long, you know, wellness was not welcoming to Black Americans, right? So mm-hmm. yoga is kind of that practice that has been very white. Very white, yeah. <laughs> yep. Very, very white. Secondly, the cost. I was fortunate that I was, you know, in a financial position to pay for a yoga teacher training. Yeah. But you're talking about 2400 and above. Yeah, it's crazy. So that already takes out a large economic group right there. So I wasn't surprised to be the only one. It was, it was more like saddened, like, because I wanted, when I went through this practice and like I said, it saved my life. I wanted to give that to other black women Yeah, to find something that um, also that was challenging physically, but also spiritually grow within a practice that was a journey from the inside out. And so it was with Om Noir, you know, and introducing that to my community. And of course, introducing in a way, like I said, that I understand their own challenges within this wellness industry, within this practice, and to teach from that standpoint, that was what was so important for me. I literally have given what this practice and what this community has given to me. What was the response? Were you met with any resistance? Because as you mentioned, that has been very much a white space. Did you have to talk some members of your community into believing the yoga hype? Or was it in an immediate land for them? An immediate land. And I think just because, again, the way that I talk about my experiences and just understanding their own challenges and insecurities and even lack of knowledge of this practice. Because... For many, we just haven't been really introduced to it in a way that we understand it um, and how beneficial it is for us both mentally and physically. You know, when I started teaching, like I said, it was, you know, flocks of Black women that would come to my classes. And so I understood that this was something that they needed. And, I love that. and for my own personal journey, this practice has allowed me to grow from my spirituality, even finding my voice. Mm. You know, I said earlier that I wasn't sure I wanted to teach because I had a fear of public speaking. Sure. So when I started teaching, mm-hmm. I found my voice. That's great. That I found my home. And so I wanted to give that back to my community. And we've had so many women that are in our community that have gone on to get their yoga certifications mm-hmm. that have said that I've motivated them. So I'm just grateful for that. Oh, God, I love that so much. 
have a confession. I had my team <laughs> make a custom fierce face mask for me because I wanted a face mask that I could get really excited about wearing since I'm wearing them all the time now. And listen, I love this face mask so much that I wanted you to have one too, because number one, you are fierce and I want everybody to know that about you. So get them while they're hot. Word on the street is these are the most comfortable masks women have tried yet. Right now, they're at my online store at ginhatmaker.com slash shop. We will not be locked into our homes wearing masks and cut off from each other forever. We won't be. But while we are, let's proceed like this. Let's, let's proceed with fierceness. Let's speed up our national recovery and keep ourselves and our neighbors and our communities safe. So do the fierce thing. Do the right thing. Order yours today at ginhatmaker.com slash shop. And here is the fine print that I need to tell you. This is a cloth, reusable, breathable face mask. It is perfectly acceptable for daily use to keep us all better protected, but it isn't medical grade. Okay, so just FYI. So one more time, get your fierce mask at ginhatmaker.com slash shop. Okay, back to our show. Can you talk a little bit more about Omnoir and how you've built it, how you've structured it, what you offer the women in your community through it, and kind of what the experience has been like for you? Oh, yes. You know, and it's so interesting when I, so, okay, I launched Omnoir in 2016, and it really was only an Instagram page. I just want to highlight other Black women and women of color and wellness. But in 2017, a mutual friend, she came to me and was like, have you ever thought about doing a wellness retreat? I, of course, had thought about it, but I was also still running my PR agency. Gosh. She came on board. Yeah, she came on board. And she was like, I'll help. And so we planned our first wellness retreat, and that was October 2017. And we had 50, over 50 Black women who attended. For wow. Our retreat. And we didn't even have a large following, probably like 2,500. Wow. Time. And so after the retreat, you know, everyone was like, well, what's next? When's the next retreat? And I'm like, I don't know, you know, <laughs> it's right. just something that I did. Right. And so mm-hmm. then 2018 came and I was like, okay, well, it's time to get serious. Obviously, you know, I found a niche and, and people need this. And so mm-hmm. I planned out three more retreats and really kind of started to form a company yeah. and a business. And so it was in that spring of 2018 where I was like, I am, I'm over PR. I'm, I don't have a passion for it anymore. I'm ready to focus on Omnoir full time. And a lot of people ask me, you know, it had to be difficult to transition from one career to the other. And it really wasn't. It's great. It felt like I was actually, I had discovered my purpose and my passion. And I just moved and leaned into that. And so since then, you know, we have posted six retreats in the last two years. We had three <laughs> this year. Mm-hmm. I oh, think of course I rescheduled. But last year, you know, even though our retreats literally were probably like ninety-five percent of our revenue, a thought came to me from an email that a woman had sent from San Francisco and she had asked, Do you have any online resources? Yeah. Women who cannot attend your retreat. Sure. And like within thirty seconds, I was like, We need to launch a virtual retreat experience. Oh yes. And so, and that was essentially bringing our retreat experience to our members' homes for women who could not afford our retreat, hmm. um, but also just life, you know, whether, yep. you know, not being able to take off of work or sure. family, children, that kind of thing. And so we launched last year, we had over a hundred members. Hmm. And so this was like our, our membership community. And so this year, I, in 2020, I initially it was going to be a six week experience, which it was last year. And so for this year, I was like, I just wanted to be an ongoing Uh, membership. So, you know, whether you pay monthly or annual, whatever the case may be. And I initially was going to launch it in May, but when the pandemic happened or occurred and quarantine, middle of March, I was like, we need to launch it now because women need this. They need community. That's right. But they also need wellness resources right in their home. We launched at the end of March. And then within that kind of process, I also was like, we should do one day retreat experiences for everyone. Mm, and so we hosted three so far and our fourth one is this weekend. And so we have basically three verticals. 
of course, our retreats, our membership platform, and now our all-day virtual retreat experience. So great. Oh, my gosh. It's just only going to grow. Uh, just yes. the sky's the limit for this. It just feels like nothing but potential to me when I think about, you know, I'm a creator like you with an entrepreneurial spirit. My brain's just spinning like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be yes. so huge. And you can scale. Like your business model is so impressive because it can scale. Just bring them on. Bring on the women. Yes. You can serve them. That's so true. You know, of course, I have to say, like, when we were first quarantined, the first two weeks, I mean, I just could not. I, I felt so heavy. And I felt like, you know, just my energy has shifted because the world has shifted. And so I kept thinking, what can we do? What can we do? What can we give more? And that's where the retreats came from, because, you know, I even personally know a black woman, 39 years old, who committed suicide two, three weeks ago. And I knew that the anxiety and the depression that black women are affected by the most just outside of a pandemic and quarantine, that it was going to be heightened at this time. And so I just kept saying we have to build this community where, one, we can help them step away from social media, step away from the news, and be amongst family and be amongst community and women that understand and women that need the same things that they do. And so it's been an incredible experience, one with these virtual retreats, but also the growth of our membership community, because it really was this space that we needed to create for just the mental health of Black women at this time. So let me ask you this, because Om Noir was recognized as an excellent wellness resource for Black women in the middle of a pandemic, which is incredible. You just recently talked about that. But there aren't enough resources for the wellness of Black men. Would you talk about this imbalance and why it's so important to work toward the health of both Black men and Black women? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, of course, like I've seen more platforms grow and I'm glad that I posed that question and that challenge because I saw so many pages being tagged, but it's just not widely, I don't want to say accepted, but I think from a black male standpoint, you know, and this also goes to not just mental health, but physical health. And the reason why numbers are so high for black men is that they don't go to the doctor enough. And then of course, you know, for such a long time, therapy and mental health was kind of like... Stigmatized, yeah. It was, yeah, it was stigmatized. And so, you know, and of course, even expressing their feelings, of course, being in spaces with other Black men, you know, really the answer to Om Noir for Black women is that we need one for Black men as well. Mm, And we do have, like I said, we have platforms that are growing, that are out there. I just don't think we have enough. Mm. And I hope that in this space now that Black men are starting to understand that they have to take care of their mental health for the health of their family. Because guess who suffers when a black man is unhealthy mentally? Of course. His partner. Yeah. And his children. Now, you know, like I said, I see a lot more platforms. I just hope that we see more. And I think actually, besides George Floyd, before that, even the death of Kobe Bryant. Yeah. And was was Mm. really, really hard. And so I saw a lot of conversations online and a lot of IG lives and Zoom calls for Black men that surfaced after his death. And of course, going into George Floyd, it's like, it's such a need now to protect the mental health of Black men because Black women are, we're doing our part now. Yes. And so when we're healthy and we go home to unhealthiness, there's that, that disconnect. Totally. Hopefully, we'll have more, like I said, Black men talking more openly about their mental health. Mm, I hope you're right. Mm -hmm. On the Omnoir website, Mm -hmm. you have a quote from Rumi that I love. I wrote it down in my notebook. It says, seek the wisdom that will untie your knot. Seek Mm -hmm. the path that demands your whole being. I wonder if as we kind of start to wrap this up, could we examine this through the lens of allyship, which you mentioned earlier? From your perspective, how can some of your white allies with privilege, how can we be like meaningful sisters, meaningful allies to our black brothers and sisters, specifically in the sector of healthcare and wellness? What do you think that looks like? 
And I think it's really, really basic. I think it is using your voice and using your power and your white privilege to speak up. Before that is really acknowledging that there is a problem from the Black experience. When we talk about Black Lives Matter, we're not saying, you know, other lives do not matter. All lives do matter. But if Black lives don't matter, all lives can't matter. That's right. And so we have to acknowledge that the reason why we are projecting our voices more so now with everything that has gone on just in this year alone, that we are screaming that Black lives have to matter. If our white allies can acknowledge that, first and foremost, not just with themselves, but with their families, their friends, their companies, and everywhere that they can use their power and privilege to be a white ally, then we're, we're getting somewhere. That's right. Secondly, and in, in, like you said, in healthcare and wellness, that is speaking up as well. We posted yes. not too long ago, like how to be a, a white ally just for black women in the wellness space mm-hmm. and black men too. And if you, you know, the studios that you love, the yeah. you know wellness spaces you freaking, if you don't see a black face in there, you have to speak up. That's good. Instructors, you have to speak up. Mm-hmm. Because you have to acknowledge that your privilege and power can actually make a difference. That's not hard. Yeah. It is not hard. This is absolutely accessible to every ally with a voice. And so it's interesting to see some of the downhill momentum that can come from that allyship. It really does matter. And so I think when white women just feel paralyzed and frozen, it's too big, it's too systemic, it's too wide, it's too long, I can't make a difference, that is a real crippling narrative that's actually not true. That every little bit that we chip away together counts. It all counts. Is there value for white women to put themselves under the leadership of Black women in wellness? like specifically kind of in your construct, or is it more important that you keep that space absolutely and utterly like safe and welcoming for Black women? Does that make sense? That's a good question. I'm not even sure how to answer that. I will say this. Om Noir is inclusive. It's not exclusive. Anybody can join our community. Anybody can come on a retreat. Just know as non-Black or non-person of color, yeah. that the conversation is going to be centered around the wellness of Black women and Black men, okay? But that's an opportunity for you to learn so that when you go back into your communities, you can speak from the Black experience that you heard, maybe not that you experienced, but yeah, that's good. and say, these are the things that I need to do as a white ally in my white spaces because I have actually listened to black women. That's great. And one of our members in the community and our membership community, she's a white woman from Utah. Wow. It's real white. <laughs> she just has a ball. Right? Does she? <laughs> yeah. She's on our zoom calls. Mm-hmm. She is, and she is right there present and just, she listens a lot, but she, you know, she is just as part of the community as anybody else. And so I say it's not inclusive. I don't really know if I would necessarily bring on a white teacher or white instructor. I don't know that. I'm going to be honest with Mm -hmm. with you all. They're not centered. You're centering Black women and the Black experience and Black wellness. And that makes exact and perfect and right sense to me. Absolutely. And also because I have just made it my mission to amplify Black voices in the wellness space. I want our community to see Black nutritionists and mm. Black OBGYNs, and I want them to see that. And mm. I, this is why we have, like, there's directories out there now, Black mental health therapists and OBGYN doctors, because of what we face when we go into these white spaces of not being heard. Of course. Or not understanding our experiences. So anybody can come on our retreat. I have a, a girlfriend who's Armenian. She's been on some retreats. You know, like I said, we have our, our community member. Anybody can, can be a part of our community. Just know that you are there to listen and be an ally. Mm-hmm. So great. God, I love it. Not to debate yep. and say, I don't see color. No, I yep. need you to see yep. color. I need yep. you to see color. 
color also acknowledges the disparities that Black Americans face. That's it. By seeing color, you are compassionate and considerate and intentional about your presence in our spaces, but also your voice in other spaces that we're not in. That's beautiful. That's perfect. We all know this school year will be unlike any other. And frankly, as a parent, it's tough to figure out the best way to keep your kid engaged when everything is normal. But listen, you don't have to do this alone. KiwiCo is here to help. With KiwiCo, you can get hands-on science, art, and geography projects delivered right to your door every single month. KiwiCo projects come in different crate lines for kids of all ages. So trust me, they have something perfect for your kid. One of my favorite crates that KiwiCo has is called the Atlas Crate. And right now, the perfect way to travel, that's in quotes, to another country is right inside your living room. Each Atlas Crate is themed around one country, and it comes with a little adventure book that shows your kid that country's geography and customs and history and foods. Plus, your kid will make a super cool project that celebrates that country's culture. So like when you get the Peru crate, your kid will make a fluffy alpaca and try their hand at weaving together some local textiles to make their alpaca a little blanket and a hat. It's so cute. They say the Atlas crate is for ages 6 to 11, but let's be honest. I'm 46 and I want one. KiwiCo is redefining learning with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. And there is something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. So... You can get 30% off your first month, plus free shipping on any crate line at kiwico.com slash for the love. Let me spell that for you. K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash for the love for 30% off your first month, plus free shipping on any crate line. Okay, guys, back to our show. I want to wrap it up with you, Christina. These are sort of quick off the top of your head questions that we're asking all the women in uh-huh. this series for the love of black lives. So this first one is a doozy and I'm sure it could be really, really long. So you could just pick, but okay. who has been either one or a couple of your greatest role models? Women I know or women I just admire. Whatever. Okay. Of course I have to start with my grandmother, my mother, of course yes. you have to start there. I mean, these are the women that raised me. Um, And thankfully, have always encouraged me to use my voice. And it took a long time for me to find it. But these are, you know, obviously the first women who I came after. You know, Tarana Burke, I mean, I mean, come on. (laughs) I know. Come on. She's just such a powerful voice. Uh, So I I haven't met her, but I know she was a part of Share the Mic Now. And I hope that I do get a chance to, of course, Michelle Obama, of course, you know, our ancestors, you know, women that fought long before I was even a thought for civil rights and women's rights and whatnot. You know, Oprah, I mean, we just have such a long, long, long list of women who have amplified their voices for the good of Black women, for women's rights and civil rights. But yeah, I would say just off the top of my head, those are the women I would say have been role models. My mentor, her name is Angela Benton. She is a veteran tech entrepreneur, and she's incredible, incredible, incredible. I hope that she can be a part of the next chair of the mic now. Mm, Yeah. I would love for her because she has been fighting systemic racism in Silicon Valley for a long time. Yeah. Oh, that's a really important conversation. Yes. Yes. What's her name again? Angela Benton. Mm, Pioneer. This is her third tech company she launched last year, but... Because she was facing so much opposition when we and she was raising her seed round in white spaces, she decided to do a crowdfund. And in four days, she raised over a million dollars. What? And that was just last week. What? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Oh, okay. I will put my eye on her too. Thank you. Yeah. That introduction. And this is what we call group economics. And we have to reinvest into the Black community. So I can imagine probably 80%, 85% of her investors were Black. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. All right. We, we can't even start talking about VC <laughs> money for women of color. It's, it's like barely registers. Yeah, that she would be a fantastic guest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of, who are some of your favorite 
artists or teachers or leaders of color that you'd like us to be listening and learning from and supporting right now? Off the top of my head, I mean, Rachel Cargill. Yeah, she's so, I can't handle her. (laughs) I can't handle her. She's so smart that I just have to like really concentrate to just stay with her. She's just an incredible leader. I know she's awesome. I mean, you could just go to her page and it just starts to branch out all the women that are in her community and just everything that she teaches and the passion with which she leads her foundation and just amplifying Black voices. I love Trisha Hersey. Mm, I don't know her. She's the founder of the NAP Ministry. And the foundation of that is encouraging Black women to rest. Oh, I see what you're saying now. Yes. Oh, that's fantastic. She's incredible. And I also love Michaela Cole. Uh, mm. who's afraid of I May Destroy You on mm. HB. So those three, I would say, definitely you'll get all that you need. <laughs> that's so good. Those are such good recommendations. Everybody, we will link to all of those leaders so you can have a one-stop shop there. Last question, Christina. This is actually something I ask every guest in every series. And you can answer this however you want. Answers to this question have run the gamut from the most hilarious, ridiculous thing you ever heard to like something deeply sober and poignant and earnest. So you pick. But this is for a question from a priest that I love. And she says, what is saving your life right now? Rest. Mm, that's good. I've been saying that this pandemic, one of the good things that have come out of it is that it has caused us to slow down because I'm sure many of us were, you know, we're going a hundred miles per hour because this is what we do. Right. And of course, again, our well-being is the last thing that we focus on. And so for me, I have been very intentional about one, my rest, and I'll let's say the second thing, boundaries, and not worrying about whether it's, you know, offensive to other people, but really creating boundaries so that I can show up fully and wholly to my community and my work and to myself first and foremost. I love that conversation. I love a boundary. It took me a long time. (laughs) <laughs> to learn that I'm 45 and boundaries eventually change my life as does rest. I'm not naturally good at rest. I'm a, I think you and I are probably similar. Mm-hmm. And so I know I can't, I don't even remember how to get on an airplane that is restful. Right, right. I mean, that is no airports for five months is restful. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Okay. Before we sign off here, can you please just tell my listeners where they can find you, where to look, where you are, all of that. Okay, great. Yeah. So my personal page is Christina M. Rice, Christina spelled with a C-H-R, and Om Noir, which is O-M-N-O-I-R-E. So that is social media. And then, of course, omnoir.com houses everything from our retreats, which we hope are going to be in 2021, our membership platform, and just, you know, our retail shop and all, and our blog and everything like that. So Christina M. Rice and Om Noir. So I just want to thank you one more time for coming on the show today and and for your work in the world. It's profound and it's important and it's impactful and it's exciting to think about what is ahead of you and the amount of leaders that you're raising up inside the wellness space is incredible. It's just going to be this exponential building of capacity around wellness inside the black community. It feels so exciting to me. I'm just, I'm proud of you. I, I love that you found this and that you pivoted from a really lucrative PR career into this work full time. Like, thank God that you said yes to that. And that you, thank you for saying yes to this show today and for being who you are. I am just here to support you and your work in any possible way I can. And that is genuine. So stick that in your back pocket. Anytime I can support your work, I want to do it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has actually been a really, really fantastic conversation. So I cannot wait to hear it and share it with my community as well. So thank you again. I am always so grateful to discover such incredible leaders in every single facet of life. Like here is Christina making such a difference, making such an impact in this particular space. And I'm proud of her. And I feel honored to get to have learned from her today. 
now I get to pay attention to her work and so do you. And so you can find every single thing she mentioned over at jenhatmaker.com. If you go under the podcast tab, you will find this episode and we have so much over there. The entire written transcript of our conversation, if you'd like to read it or cut and paste any parts of it, every single person or resource Christina mentioned, we will have linked over there. I know it's hard to keep all track of and wrangle. So we've wrangled it for you. Amanda does this major labor every single week for you. So I definitely hope you are using that resource as you consider new people to follow, new organizations to learn and listen from. Anyway, thankful to her for her incredible expertise today and just her presence on this earth. So guys, thanks for being a part of this conversation series. There's so much more to come. We have, I just can't, the caliber of leader in this series is so high. It's so intimidating. I have to drink like three cups of coffee before every single interview just to activate my brain. So Thank you for sharing these episodes, for listening, for putting these on your social media sites, for sending these to your friends and family and pastors. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Laura and Amanda and I and our whole podcast team are grateful for you and so thankful to bring this to you week in and week out. So with that, I'll see you next week.